Disclaimer. The interviews in this episode contain mentions of racial slurs. Listener discretion is advised. Shh, you can't ask someone that. Why do you want to make people uncomfortable? You shouldn't ask such questions. What will people say? Bro, who cares about all that? Don't ask these questions. What's the point in talking about things like that? It doesn't help anyone. Nobody wants to know that. Wait, is that really your question? Why this now? By Reset. Hello, and welcome to Why This Now by Reset, a show that sheds light on topics less spoken about and raises questions rarely asked. I'm your host, Akanksha Tangri, and today's episode is about what it's like being Black or of African descent in India. In 2013, a Nigerian man was killed in Goa, allegedly in a drug war. In 2014, Ugandan women had their houses in South Delhi's Kirgi extension raided for allegedly running a prostitution racket. In 2016, a Tanzanian girl was stripped and beaten in Bengaluru. And later that year, three Nigerians were racially abused and attacked in Hyderabad. Most recently, a Congolese student died in Bengaluru police custody, which sparked protests across the city. These are just a few of the recorded incidents. For decades now, there have been several attacks on black people in India, all of which seem racially motivated. Sadly, a lot of these incidents either slip under the radar of mainstream news or rarely garner any lasting public outrage. In fact, despite the reputation and the traditions of hospitality that equates guests to God, India has repeatedly failed to create a safe space for those of African origin. Then, for those who are of a mixed race with Indian-African heritage, racism, colorism, and stereotyping are common experiences they face growing up in India. Yet, these stories never find a prominent place in public discourse on social justice, and the discrimination they face remains unnoticed. Last year, during the global Black Lives Matter protests in the aftermath of George Floyd's killing, thousands of Indians hopped onto the bandwagon and shared black squares on their Instagram or slogans on their stories. These gestures are more performative as it's often the same people who ignore or contribute to the racism black people are subjected to in India. Monica Fatagun, a wildlife conservationist and environmental advocate, is of Indian and Nigerian heritage. Monica's had an incredibly diverse upbringing where she was born in Russia to an Indian mother and Nigerian father moved to India, then to Nigeria when she was six, and then back to India at 17. She talks about the kind of bullying she faced from her peers due to her mixed heritage while growing up in Shillong, and later while working in Mumbai. So as a child in Shillong, I remember cases where my grandma told me that they would pour sand in my hair and... You know, but I don't really remember as much. But when I came back on at the age of 17, 
you know, I had racial slurs and people just didn't want to be around me because they couldn't understand me. Where is she from? So I remember eating lunch alone. I know that's like a movie thing, but I remember eating lunch and people just staring like, what kind of creature is this? I look at it as many people in Shillong were ignorant, so they kind of wanted to get my attention. So they would say stuff as nigger or acorn because I would look like an African. You know, you just have those slurs by different sets of people. Like my friends used to get annoyed after a while uh, and they would also be shouting back. But, you know, it's something I had to ignore and kind of get used to, which is all the same bad because they should know better. So there was a lot of name calling. There was a lot of touching hair. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. In Mumbai, where I was working, you know, you'd had people like wanting, when I had these braids, so people would come, just know, I don't know them. They would just come and touch my hair or they would just play with my hair and stuff like that on the trains. Because I understood Hindi, you just hear them saying, oh, where is she from? Why is she so dark like that? What kind of hair is that? You know, like I remember I was walking home and then this car stopped and then they were like, oh, you know, they see an African girl and then they fantasize or fetishize an African, being with an African. So these people at the car, they were like, oh, can I have you for 45 minutes or something, something like that? How much would it be? And I was on the way, I was walking home and I was alone. So I didn't really want to start anything because I just looked around me. I just, I, I told them, you know, I told them off, but I quickly ran home. So that's, that's one thing I face when I even go out where people start asking me if I have coke or if I want to have sex. It's just now that we are talking about this, that everything's coming back that I remember. Princeton Yugo Easy Agocha, a model and a karaoke host, is also of Indian and Nigerian mixed heritage. He's lived in India since he was three years old. Princeton shares some of the most common incidents of racism he's had to go through. Most times I'm not approached, I'm commented about, like, behind my back while I'm passing by. In fact, I've come up with this phrase that Bob Marley sounds the same in uh, every language. And we have a lot of languages in India. Because what are the chances that I'm just walking by and you speak a language I have no idea about, yet the subject of your conversation while I'm passing by is Bob Marley? Because it could easily be, I'm not trying to say that I'm the only person talked about, but I'm thinking, what are the chances I was passing by and you spoke of Bob Marley? But it's usually a passing comments. We don't even know, I think, that the concept of racism exists. It's always stereotyping because it's easy to do. So I think, yeah, a nice way of putting it is there's definitely a lot of hesitation. If anything, there's no approach. It's just, oh yeah, I've already made my opinion about this person and move on. So I've kind of got to do the same also a lot of times. Let's now turn to Timmy Iwoni, the president of the Nigerian Association in Bangalore and an IT professional. Here's his experience with racism in India. Well, the thing is, uh, that's become like a normal thing for me now. Uh, That's because, you know, I got used to it. You know, there are times where cabbies refuse to pick you up because you're, you're a black person. You know, in the school, in the places, centers where I studied, 
You know, they refuse. Some people refuse to interact with you because you're a black person. Some only come to you to want to find out if you're living in a jungle or, you know, those kind of stereotypical questions are what you usually get. I also spoke to Bob Amulo, a singer, DJ, photographer, and music writer. Born and raised in Kenya, he tells us about what it was like when he moved to India. Uh, my roots are in Kenya. Uh, I was born and brought up there. So my association with India goes way back because uh, initially when I came, it was just on visits. Okay. But now I've been here at a stretch for over, well over 10 years. There are some who ask, so do you have buildings where you come from? There are those who ask, so would you even want to go back? Okay. There is one more. Oh, yeah. So you must be, you know, the luckiest in your family <laughs> because you made it this far. <laughs> do you wash your hair? That is for sure. Top of my list. According to a 2019 report by the Ministry of Education, there are almost 50,000 foreign national students enrolled in India from 168 different countries. From these, Sudan and Nigeria are the fifth and seventh biggest source for foreign students in India. Comparing this to the 2014 report, the number of students from the same countries has gone down. This indicates the steady decline in the number of African students coming to India, partly on account of the racist experiences they face. Another challenge for those who move to India for work or stay after graduation is finding employment, which is a massive hurdle they need to navigate. Minorities the world over are discriminated against while looking for jobs and often find themselves rejected for arbitrary reasons despite having the necessary qualifications. India is no different, especially when it comes to those of African origin. Timmy, Monica and Princeton shared their own experiences while navigating the job market in India. First of all, India is not a place where you are opportune to get a job, especially as a foreigner. Sometimes even the schools that tell you they would, you know, when it comes to the aspect of having your internships done, they don't assist you in getting a place to do your internship. You answer the trick questions correctly. You have experience. The job is a spot on about what you've worked on, but you somehow don't get it or you're somehow dismissed. Or I'll give one example, which I found very funny. Like I got a job to work at a tiger reserve and I was already planning to travel, but I first stopped at Mumbai before going there. And then I tried calling and calling and calling and later on after some months when I called again, they said, oh, uh, we didn't know that you would be able to make it. So we hired someone else. Like it just felt like they they forgot the person. And so that's the thing with, with racism. It's that person that it happens to. They feel it. They feel it more. But yeah, it was getting very apparent that. I mean, someone that has nothing to do with animals gets 
the job that I want, that I applied for, when it's apparent that I could have gotten it. I haven't been part of what we'd stereotype as the corporate industry. I've been hosting karaoke at a bunch of nightclubs since 2013. That's when I got out of college. And I feel like a lot of times, whenever it has come even to think about the idea of getting a job in an office where you'd have to like suit up essentially, I may not be fully accepted because at, like we still have those stereotypes about um, how a person's supposed to groom themselves in terms of that. And I feel like I am probably in the wrong country when it comes to saying things like, hey, this is naturally how my hair is and this is the neatness that you would get as an image in terms of my image. Aside from education and employment, black people in India also face discrimination for a basic necessity like housing. It works as a mechanism of social segregation and exclusion. A 2015 study published in the journal Economic and Political Weekly showed how 18% of Dalits, who are part of India's oppressed castes, and 31% of Muslims faced outright rejection from upper-caste Hindu households when they inquired about a home in India's national capital. Anecdotal evidence and multiple news reports suggest that this problem is prevalent in most major Indian cities and extends to all minorities, including black people. Timmy and Bob share their experiences looking for housing in India. There have been a few encounters where, because you're an African, they've outrightly told, no, we don't give our houses to African. Or for those of them who don't have the ability to outrightly tell you that, they tell you no, that they don't have an available space in the house. Even when it's very obvious that they do, but they tell you no, there's no vacancy. At the time when you are looking for, you know, a residence where you want to rent and all that kind of stuff, then you have to understand clearly, okay, which are the areas where you can go searching, okay? It's not just a matter of where can you afford. There are all these other different layers and whatever that you have to understand. And I guess the longer you stay or stick around, the more you get to understand these things, the more life, you know, gets to be normal. Otherwise, until you understand all this stuff, it looks like it's just impossible to understand how things work or how things run. Now that we've heard of some of the ways in which Black people living in India face racism and discrimination in various facets of their lives, the question that pops up is, why? The racism towards Black people stems from a much larger issue of colorism that is prevalent across India, where fair-skinned privilege is rampant. Timmy and Monica explain how they think colorism plays out in India. I mean, I'm not surprised or I'm not perplexed by the way they treat us. Is Even the Indians that are dark-skinned, they don't get treated any different than we are. So, I mean, if an Indian who, this is his indigenous country, he was born, bred and raised here. Some of them have not even traveled out of the country. Yet, they are being discriminated in their own country. So, imagine what happens to an African man who is a visitor in this country. There's really no preferential treatment, right? Because 
a black citizen is treated the same way. So we, we don't feel that there's anything that we are surprised about. Well, India is known for colorism, you know, their preference, their standards of beauty. So a black person that genetically they are darker, you know, there's always there's this push to lighten their skin tone or they're not accepted in the workplace or, or you know, just to marry. I'm sure you know about matrimony.com and all these newspapers that have prerequisites you should be fair. So people that are not fair, like a black person, we don't fit that category at all. And I think that is still rampant till today, even though we're trying to eradicate that thought. You know, we also can't talk about the racism in India without addressing the rampant use of the N-word that has found its way into the vocabulary of many Indians. A big factor is cultural appropriation from hearing it in film, TV, and rap music, combined with a lack of awareness and education around the history of the word. Being a person of color doesn't give you a free pass to appropriate or even use the word. Princeton shares his thoughts on why Indians using the racial slur is both problematic and offensive. When I've had friends who were using these terms because they've been listening to the latest trap song in which a person's literally using, like, going nigga, 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 nigga everywhere. And I'm like, dude, if we were inmates in a jail and I called you inmate and you called me inmate, it was okay. But if a third person called us inmate, we'd be pissed. So think about the N-word just like that. Like, if you've not suffered, if you've not been in that jail, if, you're, if you don't have the ancestors, there is a high chance you could just be offending someone because you've just not been through that. And a lot of times I've even got the argument of, oh no, but we're all from Africa. And I'm like, shut the, just shut up. Like, let it be, brother. Let it, let it, let it, just let it be. I mean, at the same time, I do recognize that I've not been in a place where um, I've had to suffer the way slaves in America would have suffered or slaves in other countries that had slaves would have suffered. But at the same time, I have the genetics of somebody who or I may have ancestors who may have who may have gone through that. So I would not want to um, say it like I'm offended. But at the same time, I'm like, hey, that's just disrespecting anybody who possibly had to fight just to like blink, forget about like breathing, forget about surviving. Now, when it comes to people of mixed racial heritage, they go through a unique set of experiences based on the assumptions people make about them. I've played the foreigner game where I've uh, just stood close enough to a person and allowed them to literally speak in Hindi or Marathi. I mean, I'm talking about traveling in a train where you're standing at the door and there's four people there. And this one guy who's just right under my nose here is looking up at me and he's um, he's telling his friend who's in front of him that, hey, bro, look at this guy's hair. Like, hey, bro, is ke baal dekha hai? And I'm like... Uh, because literally standing over here. So then he's like, Tirko Hindi aata hai? and I'm like, Nay. <laughs> Nay aata. So yeah, it's always it, like some, I, I think like the only way to approach it without losing my mind because it's really, it gets really pissing off a lot of times. Now, it was because Princeton understood the people that were being racist, he could call them out on it. And 
In this situation, they were commenting on his hair, and he replied, saying, "Which hair are you looking at? On my head or in my nose?" But most people of mixed race also go through a distressing mental tug of war, often worsened by societal pressures and assumptions. NPR, in one of its Code Switch podcast episodes, has called it the racial imposter syndrome, the experience of being neither here nor there. For people of mixed heritage, their identity itself can often become a site of contention and contradictions, because you're occupying that liminal space between two very different cultures. Here's Monica telling us more. You know, there's always a struggle, either sides. You know, India or Nigeria. There's always a struggle to want to prove to people that you belong there. You know, whether it's in you know the language or you know the food or you know the dressing. Like, there's always that. You know, because the moment people see you wearing something else, oh, you're you're not Nigerian enough. You know, and they don't understand how that makes a mixed race person feel. So. Subconsciously, even if consciously, you're always trying to prove to them that you know what I'm a part of you. You know, it's like a tussle. Be more like us. When I'm in Nigeria, be more like us. Why are you wearing this? Why don't you wear this? You know, that that kind of tussle here and there is the same thing as who are you going to marry? Marry an Indian? No, marry a Nigerian. And I'm just like, thank you. Let me make the decision myself. So yeah, you're always in the middle. Just feeling that it can be a blessing. It can also feel like a curse because you're always trying to prove yourself, prove yourself that I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. And then people are outside also trying to put you in a box. Oh, you have to be one. So people even say that here, and I'm just like, I am both. Don't say it's like, oh, you're Nigerian. It's like, no, genetically I'm both. So please, Indo-Nigerian. It's like, no, no, you know, your father is Nigerian. There's the patriarchal side to it also. The instances of racism against Black people in India, such as offhand remarks by people on the roads, are part of a much larger systemic form of racism. There are many cases in which this is institutionalized in the police force, the education system, and the government. Princeton, Monica, and Timmy shared their interactions with law enforcement. Being called Bob Marley by the cops as a taunt from far away because they were trying to, like, when the whole lockdown happened and uh, people are still outside, so they would do these random, uh, I would say, tours of the beach where they would walk in like a group, like they were a gang themselves and literally beat up anybody else that was that was in groups. And I'm like, irony much, but no. And on the way, like, they saw a friend and me sitting and eating. So initially, they said it's okay, you just eat and go back. On the way back. I mean, timing was bad, and we just happened to be picking our plates up and going back to our room. And this group of policemen happened to be coming back, and one of them literally just screamed, "Are Bob Marley? Why you like you know?" In Konkani, he went, "Why you? Um, you're still outside. What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Did you just call me Bob?" Like, damn. <laughs> I was like, I expected this from a person who's not wearing uniform, but clearly it's so ingrained in everybody that it, it's just an item of clothing. It doesn't really change who a person is on the inside. I remember when I wanted to rent a place. You know, the, the part of the procedure is going to the police station to 
get some documents, whatever, whatever. So I kept showing my passport. I have an Indian passport. I kept showing my passport and this man was interrogating. No, how did you get this passport? I had to call my mom so my mom would talk to them. But the, it was really, I spent like close to six hours there. And they're like, no, how are you Nigerian? I said, my dad is Nigerian. It's like, so how did you come into the country? You know, all these very invasive questions. Like they're not listening to your answer. It's more of what they think. It's like, oh, she must have come into the country illegally. So how did she come? Even though the passport is right there stating my dad's name and my mom's name. But so, yeah, at the end of the day, I had to call my mom and she had to straighten everything out. So those kind of things you face. Or, you know, sometimes when there are stops on the road, once in a while, you just have excessive questioning, like, where did you come from? And I have to say I'm Indian. So that's what some of these things have been erased because I try to not overthink it. It will just go as they don't know better. This is just that I feel the system is not up to par with what they are supposed to do. There was an incident that happened sometime in, I think, early July, you know. So we had from the association, there was a case about a guy whom he was causing menace to the society. So we took him to the police station. When somebody commits an offense, it's right that the society or the association hands them over to the police, which we did. But do you know that in that police station, the police never even took us seriously. This was at about 2 a.m. in the morning. The officers who were on duty that day, they never attended to us in a serious manner. It got so bad that this guy whom we are taking to the police station threatened one of us that he was going to kill us right in the police station and nobody did anything about it. Nobody. An Amnesty report from 2014 noted how, as the number of African students in India has increased, the attacks on them have also increased. Renowned journalist Siddharth Vardarajan, co-founder of the online news publication The Wire, said in a New York Times article that the attacks on Africans served as a warning to Indians that their country was riddled with some of the very same racism that they had suffered from in the West. An article on anti-blackness and blackface in Bollywood published in Media Diversified listed how popular films have perpetuated racist ideas about black people. Princeton argues how the harmful stereotypes regarding black people are legitimized through problematic representations in Bollywood films. It's literally that one guy who will get that skull cap, which is red, yellow and green, with the extensions that probably were bought from somebody like me. And uh, that person is probably going to be super muscly and either a bodyguard, either somebody who's about to sell you some drugs or somebody who's about to rape and kill you. So I think a lot of times the inaccuracy of that does sting, especially now that I'm a little more aware of how this has been affecting, how people even look at me all these years, because usually I'm thought about, I mean, I, I may be thought about in the same spaces like, oh, this person might grow up to either become somebody's bodyguard because they'd probably bulk up and be all muscly and stuff like that. This person may sell you some drugs or this person may try to kill you. Like in most cases, intersectionality also plays a big role in the lived experiences of black people in India. 
a lot of it comes down to privilege. Bob believes that for certain black expats and diplomats, that is, people from the higher echelons of society, their experience in India might be very different from how a regular person is treated. In some cases, there is a clear divide between those from the first world versus those from third world countries. The hierarchy of privilege reflects in the way that black people from America, Australia, or Europe are treated compared to those from Africa. The othering of black people has been historically prevalent in large parts of the world. We just need to look at the recent Black Lives Matter movement, which furthers the collective fight for social justice. The impact of racism on the mental health of people of color has been historically ignored and undermined. A 2020 study by Dr. Amber Johnson, assistant professor at California State University, found a significant correlation between racism, self-esteem, and shame. Monica and Princeton explained the effects that it can have on your mental health, from shaping one's self-worth to mental exhaustion from having to stand up for yourself and explain racist comments to ignorant people. Even in Shillong, like I was young then, so when people would sit away from me and look at me like I'm crazy, I just felt very isolated and felt like something was really, really wrong with me. And that affected, of course, your self-esteem, your confidence, your idea of how beautiful you are. Because you're coming from Nigeria where you are seen as beautiful because of the skin tone. And then you come to India and it's just like you're annihilated. So Shillong being a small city, I was never the person that got, you know, the roses. You know, during Rose Day, they had all these functions. I was more like the popular person, but not as a person seen as desired or liked. And that had an effect on my self-esteem for a long time. A friend once said to me that whenever, you know, you subconsciously internalize their ignorance, which is not fair to you, but sadly, that's the way it is. For you to function well, you have to sort of turn a blind eye. It gets exhausting, it, it gets tiring, and sadly, I mean, they should know better. And I can't spend my time explaining to you what kind of, like, how that can be rude or insulting. But yeah, it does something to you. It's subconscious suppressing. Just even typing it on social media is exhausting. So just imagine telling people. And you're telling people that are in power, like they would take it the wrong way and it would just be blown into, you know. So it's better you just nod and, but yeah, it's draining. You'd have to learn how to get a thick skin because many people don't know anything about your country. And don't stress by shouting on everyone because you can't do that. Ignoring it sometimes is also the better way to do it because you don't need to suffer the emotional baggage or the emotional load of dealing with having to tell someone again after you've told just another hundred people before this that hey this is not okay but at the same time also i think that if you don't want to say it you're very very entitled to but then you're basically without even trying unintentionally agreeing to the fact that it'll continue to happen and you'll continue to have to bottle up your emotions 
continue to have to suppress your immediate anger continue to have to basically keep it to yourself so if you do something about it again no guarantee that it'll change but you do nothing about it there is guarantee that nothing changes then so what's the solution to all this can indians ever unlearn these inherent biases and change their racist mindsets can there ever be reconciliation with the decades worth of damage this has caused timmy for one told me he wouldn't encourage black people to move to india he believes that the hostility and the lack of opportunities in the country outweigh the benefits he is in fact planning on leaving india in terms of systemic change and looking towards the future Bob helps us understand the importance of being informed and changing the representation of black people in the media. I think the solution that would work for India is something that really has to come from India. Right? I cannot take whatever phenomena I see in Africa or in the US and try and copy paste it here because this is a totally different culture. This is a, a totally different experience. Okay? So I'll tell you that for example what is racism in uh, most parts of the i would say post colonial world based on in most parts it is based on the you know the system that the british exported right but when you come here it's something different it's something that precedes that okay there are way more intersectionalities here at the end of the day the most important thing in my mind is always information keeping people informed right so if for example there was a time in uh, a certain district in mumbai i know there were politicians who one of their pledges when they were campaigning was that they were going to raid all the africans in a particular neighborhood right now those are things that are easy to legislate and ensure they do not happen okay so that's one thing second thing it's also back in the day when uh, race relations were at a better place than they are today right they would have events at which they would invite the african students for example to come and perform now these kind of events help to in my opinion you know enable people to visualize the fact that they're africans in this country they're here legitimately and they're pursuing legitimate dreams like everybody else they're trying to get their education they're trying to run their business so they're trying to do whatever it is that they're trying to do right giving as much platforms as possible whether it's at cultural functions events and all that kind of stuff and also news coverage which right now has become a very powerful driver of social ideals and cultural uh, norms they need to also cover that side of the facts not only you know focus on the time when there's a negative story which unfortunately is an addiction of the media today and which i think is possibly one of the things that's uh, driven the image people have of black people you know in the more negative direction okay uh there've been cases we've seen like i think it was in bangalore where lynchings lynchings happened yeah of black people now these are things which the government can easily intervene and make it clear that that's something that they're not going to entertain that would be a starting point in my mind but if you ask me long haul of the responsibility in a site like india rest mostly with the media 
because there are no laws here that are codified to engender racism. Okay, it is something that is mostly run by, you know, the impressions that people have, the prejudices that they've built over time. So that means mostly it's the cultural machine that has to do a better job of portrayal of black people. That's it for today's episode of Why This Now by Reset. Thank you to our guests, Princeton Yugoizi Agocha, Monica Fatagun, Timmy Iwoni, and Bob Amulo. I've been your host, Akanksha Tangri. Do check out our work on ResetYourEveryday.com. We have more resources around mental health there. Follow us on at ResetYourEveryday on Instagram. If you'd like to get in touch with us or share your story, send an email to hello at ResetFest.com. <laughs>